John, we're going to have our good friend Michael Kay as a guest today. Yes, it's great to have Mike on. We've known him for close to 40 years. Oh, boy, I, don't, I can't even believe I just said that, but awesome to have him on. A lot of interesting Yankee questions. Who's going to start game one? Who's their closer? So Mike will handle all of that. Yeah, we'll talk a lot of Yankees with him. You and I will talk a lot about the Mets and where they are. We'll talk broad picture who could emerge from the playoffs from the bottom teams. We'll talk about the manager carousel that's about to begin. We'll be doing that all on an episode presented by Charles. Tri-State Cadillac dealers, visit your Cadillac showroom today and stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. John, I spent the weekend in Atlanta and two things happened. It never rained and the Mets never won. Uh, uh, I know we both have some thoughts about both of those, so why don't I just throw it open to, uh, we don't have Mike Trout here, so do you have some weather thoughts? <laughs> he's, he's the weather expert. Um, you know, first of all, I'd like to just say the Braves, I think they're the better team. They proved it. Of course, we'll see as we talk here. It appears, I would say, 90% the Mets are going to lose that division and have to play the wild card. Mets had a great season. Whatever happens, give them credit. They did great in the winter. They did great in the summer. In the end, Atlanta had the better run differential. They have the better record as we do this. They're the world champions, so I think they're the better team. As far as the weather goes, you know, uh, when we first started talking about this right before Atlanta, I never got it. I live in Miami. I never got all the discussion about the hurricane coming to Atlanta, so I never reacted. I never wrote a column. I didn't believe it. Uh, The Mets, some of the Mets, not all of them seem to be in panic about this and claiming that the Braves or thinking that the Braves were trying to do them wrong by not moving them games out of Atlanta. Games were great in Atlanta. Ironically, we're now in New York. It is pouring. Rained out yesterday. Today we may have a doubleheader rained out. We don't know if they're going to play a tripleheader, what they're going to do to, to figure this out. But ironically, the game should have been moved out of New York. We, we certainly didn't know that at the time. Yeah, uh, you know, let's let's frame it as we we do an evergreen show. As we're sitting here, uh, there's potentially five uh, regular season games left between the two teams: two for Atlanta, three by the Mets. Any one Atlanta victory or singular Met loss, and because of what happened this weekend, the Braves win the NLEs for the fifth straight year. And John, I am so with you on the weather thing, and also about. Look, you'll never be able to prove it, but their obsession with it is the wrong way to go to Atlanta. It was almost like we're trying to move the series away from where our boogeymen are in Atlanta. They historically didn't play well there. The last series, they got beat up by the Braves there. Let's play on Thursday, so there's 10,000 people instead of 45,000. Let's play somebody. To me, it set the wrong tone for the weekend to be obsessed about it. And by the way, to overstep your bounds. Yeah. These are Atlanta Brave home they're, they're, they're games. They're games, right? They're you know, Braves games. I, I, and Major League Baseball oversees it all. I, this is not your place. Again, I repeat, Atlanta is inland. I've been to Atlanta. It's not on the coast. I live in Miami. Fort Myers, unfortunately, on the coast, got hit, got slammed, a lot of damage. 
I, Next I'm, on geography with Joel and John. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not the expert. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it affected the Mets' performance. I, I think the Braves are just a great team. Uh, I will say, I'm quoting somebody. You, you know more about music than I do. Paranoia will destroy you. Yeah. Who, who is that? I don't know. Does anyone in the room know who that saying is it, that? Is that the Kinks? No. Uh, I think no. you might. You is might it, be right. Yeah. I'm not sure. But in any case, it, it was too much. You want to sing focused, a couple of notes? No. no. You, nobody wants to hear me sing. Um, it was it was not worth going that crazy over the rain possibility and the hurricane possibility in Atlanta. But they got outplayed. I, I think they were going to be outplayed anyway. So uh, you, you actually retweeted something this morning from our colleague Mike Vaccaro, um, a column he wrote, uh, kind of talking about all that fell from this weekend. And what stuck with me leaving the weekend, and Mike hit on it in his column in the New York Post, was, you know, there was all these good vibrations around the Mets all season. Uh, And they built up expectations and hope, and it feels drained now. You mentioned that they've had a great season. From 20,000 feet, it's a great season. But I've seen a bunch of people tweet and write that they didn't choke because they still might win 100 games. To me, this is a choke job, right? <laughs> like, like they they had seven games against Atlanta between the middle of last month and September. If they go two and five, they're in good shape. They went one and six yeah. in those games, head yeah. to head. They had that stretch where they played all those lousy teams for twenty four games between the Dodgers and the um, and the Braves, and they went fourteen and yeah. ten, which is good. By the way, if you go fifteen and nine, you're in good shape. So. I, I get it. The overall season feel good, but yeah. it, it feels a little choky down yeah. the stretch here. I mean, on their list of all-time choke jobs, this is not near the top, right? No. They had the 17 games. They were seven games in front of the Phillies. And that felt impossible in real time and when that, it was happening. That was a real choke job. Here, I mean, you could point to this. Only they got swept by the Cubs. They lost a game to the Nats. They lost a couple games to the Pirates. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel good, but... Realistically, looking at it, the ten and a half game lead was lost because the Braves played spectacular. They were something like seventy six and thirty two or something. Seven, like. uh, with the with the loss last night, it says so. The, in that period yeah. from June first on, they were seventy six and thirty three. The Mets were sixty three and forty four. Right. So the Mets played well. Like, yeah, I don't think. That's but they a didn't joke, play yeah. well. They needed to stare down the devil. Right. This is their devil in this era. Is the Braves like it was the Phillies when they blew the the yeah. seven game? Oh, they got the Phillies. They got yeah. the Phillies number pretty good. Yes, but. The, the you know historically like I'm thinking as I'm watching Matt Olson and Dansby Swanson each homer in every game in that series they're like a chipper off the old block yeah. right it's like they're the new chipper Jones there uh, that team really haunts the Mets and really the series came down to Atlanta's best players played great and the Mets best players did not yeah and I mean this is why I think Dansby Swanson should be on that MVP list I've seen MVP list without Dansby Swanson I don't see how you do it he's the best defensive shortstop in the league the most important series. He had a home run in each game against three outstanding pitchers, two of the best in the sport. Uh, they have some great players. Uh, you know, This is why the Mets may have trouble in the postseason, is that they move the line. They get single after single, lots of hits. They're not a powerful team. They do not hit a lot of home runs. And, uh, you know, the Braves are built for the postseason. All of their players basically seem like a threat to hit it out. And I think that's huge when you get to October. Yeah, they're a lot like recent Yankee teams. They strike out a lot yep. and hit a lot of home runs. Um, the, the I'll say this, being there in person, they really miss Starling Marte, the yes. Mets. Like, yes. It lengthens their lineup. They put some in number two uh, in, in the, the order. He's also dynamic. You mentioned it. 
They're a singles hitting team, but he could get to second base stealing a base. He always goes first to third. He could score from first on a double. He always scores from second on a single. He, by the way, has some extra base hit power. Uh, his absence, now no crying, right? No. Everybody's missing people, including the I mean, the Braves. the Braves won the World Series yeah. without Acuna last yes. year, right? You didn't right. hear them talk about it at all, right? They just went out and won the series, right? Absolutely. No crying about it, but, but being there in person— I'm like, boy, they really because the other guy he's who great. comes into the he's lineup, really great. He's, I mean, he's Guyermi comes thought. into the lineup, and he's another singles hitter, right? McNeil goes to the outfield, Guyermi comes in, so it's kind of more of the same. And the Braves are a good defensive team. Yeah. They're good pitchers. Their bullpen pitch really good. Iglesias was a great pickup for them. Yeah. It really lent them their bullpen. Yeah. I'm with you, John. I think the better yeah. team is going to win the division. Yeah, I think they're the better team. I know it's only a couple games or game and a half at this point. They, they are the world champions. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I've gone over this and I've gone back and forth on this a few times. Um, I think the Mets wasted an opportunity at the deadline. I mean, the Braves, they ended up getting Rysel Iglesias. The Mets needed to really, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but the Mets have the best closer in the game. Diaz has been unhittable, but they the bridge, obviously, Adovino's been very good too, but the bridge is a little bit leaky. I, I'd be a little, I'm a little concerned about it. The Braves were willing to spend the money for Rysel Iglesias. Now, the Mets, we're not going to call the Mets cheap, right? They're $290 million. They spent the most in baseball, tied with the Dodgers, give them all the credit, but they did draw a line, and they tried to make that trade for Iglesias with money thrown in to offset his $16 million a year salary. Braves said, no, I'll ta- we'll take him, just like they did with Melanson, and that's worked out. And then, of course, we've been over this many times. I still think they needed to get a true everyday power hitter Certainly a right-handed batter, and you know they felt good about Ruff. Obviously, he's not worked out at all, and they've called up Vientos, which to me, Vientos looks pretty good on paper, right? I mean, he's one of their top five prospects. They seem to not want to trade him. Do they? Do they seem like they like him to you? No, they don't seem like. Uh, why I, didn't they I, trade him? I I didn't get that at the deadline. They were so set on not trading their top five prospects, but Vientos is number five. And they have a, they seem to have an evaluation of him lower than five or not that high. Why not trade him and figure out how to get somebody, whether it be Mancini or Contreras or whoever else might have, Drury, whoever else might have been available, Bell. Now, a lot of these guys haven't done great. Right, Mancini gone. hasn't done great. Bell hasn't done Mancini, great. Mancini, I think, is hitting bad luck where he is. But um, you're right. They have not they have not done great the where they are. The question was, that would was they have not, gotten Contreras? Would that have helped them? You know, even as just the bat, you know, it wasn't obvious. Look, there were times it's felt watching the Mets where Showalters looked down the the dugout and was hoping like Benny Agbayani popped up or something instead of using Vientos. Uh, It it was clear to me. It feels that way, that they don't love him. So why not... I Why agree. hold on to him? Like I agree, that? and I feel like they probably feel that their two draft picks from the first round this year who are position players probably move ahead of Vientos on their list also. So he actually moves down from five a little further on their list of their prospects. He's closer to the majors. But, uh, yeah, it's clearly—I I wonder also on Iglesias— I think, A, it would have helped them because have some leverage with Diaz. If Diaz leaves, you have a guy who is signed for the next few years to close in case you need it. They're losing their whole bullpen, the Mets. Lugo's out. Adovino's out. Givens is a free agent at the end of the year. And Iglesias has been great. Trevor May is a free agent. He's been great with Atlanta. Great. Uh, And I also always wonder, is there an inside advantage there? You know, Perry Manazian was the protege of Alex Anthopoulos. He's in with the Angels. You know, does that help a trade along the way, you know, as opposed yeah. to the, the Mets. 
Uh, look, the playoffs are coming, John. Uh, I think all this I think time, it's about the money. It's always about the it's money. It's always when, yeah, I think yeah, so. I'm anyway. sure. Um, the playoffs are coming. Yeah. I think we think there are, including the Mets, sure. five dynamic teams, right? The two New York Agreed. teams, Dodgers, Astros, Braves. Do we think anyone else? We now know the 12-team field. Do we think any of the other seven could go through multiple rounds and win a World Series? Yeah, right now I'm doing the odds on what the odds are to win the World Series for all the 12 teams, now that we have the 12 teams in there. And there is a big line between five and six, it feels like. And at different times we thought we might see a Subway World Series and the Yankees and the Mets were the best teams and who's better. Now it feels like probably the Dodgers and the Astros are the favorites. Not probably, they are the favorites. But certainly the Mets and Yankees are in that five. Below that five, it's difficult to find one that you can really say, I think this team has a good chance to win the World Series. I would pick two teams. One of them is a little bit, I would say, romantic or something. Uh, One's maybe nostalgic. Uh, The nostalgic team first would be the Cardinals. They have a history of winning. They have Wainwright. We think he might play again. I don't know. He might retire. Molina's retiring. Pujols is retiring. Uh, they've been a nice run. Pujols has hit more runs than anybody in the last month and a half, even Judge. Um, I would say them, and I would go with Cleveland. I mean, the Guardians have played very well, and they have pitching depth. It's incredible that they're here. They're one of three teams that are in the playoffs that I didn't predict. I got three of them wrong this year, and I don't know if anybody saw that coming, but if I was going to pick two below that big line, I'd pick Cleveland and St. Louis but not feel confident about it. Yeah, you know— my hesitancy on both Cleveland and St. Louis is I feel that the central divisions are so weak, especially the AL Central, uh, where, you know, as we speak, there. there's no team over 500. So it's hard for me to know just how good Cleveland is. And St. Louis, without a dynamic starting pitcher, I kind of keep looking at them. I also do feel the playoffs are a little bit three-tiered. I think the Dodgers are so much above everybody else. And I know it's hard to win even when you have the best record, but they have that feeling a little bit when I watch them, like the great Yankee teams, the dynastic Yankee teams, which is we're just going to figure out how to win the game today. Like they have this self-confidence when you watch them. Now, does the pressure increase? Uh, Does the lack of having Walker Bueller or something like that crop up? And then I think the other four teams you mentioned, Houston, Atlanta, the two New York teams. If I were going to pick a wild card in this, I would look at Toronto and San Diego. But I think they both have the same problem. They both have two starting pitchers you really like and kind of a half a third. Musgrove with with San Diego and... um, Stripling uh, st- or, stripling, or uh, uh, stripling. Well, you can't trust Barrios. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the problem is, like, you can't trust you Barrios. Think stripling is their third? I think that's who they're going to start. Really? I'm wondering if they're going to start Mitch White over yeah. uh, oh, Barrios. I don't, I don't. And then, like, you have Clevenger, who hasn't pitched well in San Diego. So it's just like in the wild card round, like, if San Diego gets the Mets, like, people have always said, well, the Mets will have a big advantage with their starting pitching. Snell and Darvish have pitched right. great. I'm not exactly sure the Mets have, a, no. have an advantage or a dynamic advantage in the area they you. thought they would. And then if it just becomes a hitting contest with Machado and Soto in that lineup, those are two big players. So uh, I, I give them a punchish chance to go a round or two. I just think nobody but those big five could go multiple rounds and win. It seems that way to me. I would agree with you on the Padres. I think you're right. Their pitching, starting pitching is outstanding. Darvish, I think he's been better than DeGrom and and Scherzer. He's been better. So to me, I don't see the Mets' big advantage at all. And Musgrove, he threw a shutout last night, or at least six scoreless innings. uh, As your number three starter, I think he's a a push with Bassett, right? So 
I think it's pretty much even on the starting pitching front between the Padres and the Mets in a three-game series. I, I do think the Mets are a little bit better overall as a team, even though we talked about the disadvantage of all the singles hitters that they have. I think they have enough of them that they are the favorite. And, and they get the all three home games. One thing I will say about the Dodgers being overwhelming favorite, they got a gauntlet. The National League is going to be tough. Whether they play the Mets or the Padres, and I, and I do think the Mets will win that series, they're going to have to play the Mets and probably the the Braves. So they're going to have to play two out of those five teams that we think are great. Houston is not going to have to play. I mean, they're going to have to play the Yankees, which I have more faith in the Yankees. After seeing Severino, that was huge last night. I mean, he's been injured most a lot of the year, right? He came in and threw a no-hitter through seven innings. I feel much better about the Yankees' situation. So Houston's got a challenge there, but it's not a gauntlet. The American League is not as good as the National League. Even though the American League wins the um, All-Star game every year, the better teams are in the National League, and for that reason, I almost think Houston's got just as good a chance to win the World Series as the Dodgers. It's going to be an easier road for them, much easier. Yeah, and and I, I do think that MLB is going to get what they wanted, John, which is if you're sitting in that second round, everyone is going to have to start their third or fourth starter in Game 1 coming right, right. off of it, whereas if you're Houston, the Yankees, etc., you're going to have whatever you want lined up. So I think right. that's a big, big that's advantage. That's great. No more teams win it with two pitchers winning right. it. We saw the Minnesota Twins. They had two pitchers. They won the World Series. Les Stryker was number three? I think. I can't, I can't remember. Striker, I think. Striker, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they had two pitchers, and you can win a World Series. You can't do that now. And this is a big advantage that the Dodgers have. Got a lot of players, right? They got Gonsolin now back. Urias, Cy Young candidate. I say that in quotes because I think we all think Alcantara is winning, but Anderson's been great. Kershaw is back. Uh, they're in they're in good shape right now. Yeah, and we should note that what, when we talk about a potential Padre Mets series, that's based on if the Mets are the right. wild card. Right. But there is something in similar about those two teams. They both hired veteran managers after last season, right? right? Buck Showalter to kind of figure it out with the Mets. Uh, Bob Melvin to figure it out with the Padres. They both did great jobs to get their teams to the postseason. John, you wrote about this recently in the Post. It looks like there's going to be a lot of change in managerial seats all over again this year, more even than last year. I'm just wondering, big picture, what do you think are the most interesting jobs that could come open here? Maybe some of the most interesting people who could kind of fill them. Yeah, I mean, we, we're going to see a lot of change. I do think we're going to see – I mean, there's some of them are obvious right now. I mean, I would say the best jobs that could potentially come open. I mean, Houston, to me, they got a front office situation more than a manager situation right now. Whatever reason, James Click has done a great job as the GM. He's on the hot seat. You could seat. mess it up, and he didn't mess it up no, taking the baton pass from Jeff Lou now. But, like, you and I are hearing the same thing. Like, yeah. like – this is not a comfortable relationship, it seems, with ownership, and that even success isn't protecting him here. It feels a little Joe Girardi managing the Yankees. Yeah, You know, right. where it's like successful, but uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, that's what we hear, and uh, so they could make a change at GM. That's a good job, unless there's some issue with the owner that we don't know about, because why is the GM in trouble there? I don't know. I got to wonder about Dusty. They gave him a one-year deal, but Dusty and James Click also did not seem particularly close. So maybe it helps Dusty that James Click is the one on the hot seat. So, I mean, that's obviously a great job if it comes open. Terry Francona, I mean, 
Dusty should stay, obviously. I don't, it goes without saying. Terry Francona, we all hope he stays. Fantastic guy. Great manager. I, th- I think he's the manager of the year. Someone might tell me it's Brandon Hyde, but I think he's the manager of the year, getting the Guardians to where they are. But, you know, health considerations, he could decide to retire. At this point, doesn't look like that. He seems to be doing well. But to me, those are the two best jobs. Beyond that, there are a lot of questionable jobs that may come open. A lot of guys are interim. We'll see. Obviously, we know about the White Sox. They've got an opening. The Rangers have an interim and an opening. The Marlins have an opening. I think the Royals are going to switch. Angels have an interim. The Jays have an interim. The Phillies have an I mean, we've never seen so many Four interims interims, uh, this year. I think the Jays will stay with Schneider, and I think Thompson should stay with the Phillies. So those are the two buckets I was going to talk about, John, and I think they're the interesting ones, which is that Schneider and Thompson got teams to the playoffs after taking over from Girardi and Charlie Montoyo. So does that just make it easier for those teams to kind of go there? The other bucket I think that was interesting is – Nevin in L.A. and Davey Martinez in Washington, because those two teams are being sold. And the question is, do you want to hire a new manager before you have a new owner who will probably hire a new GM? So it could just be that those guys hold on to jobs, not because the organizations love them, as yeah. much as they have to figure out what the organization is. Do you agree well, with that? Well, Davey Martinez is going to hold on to that job, right? I mean, he won the World Series for this owner, and they picked up as an op- option for over $3 million. So he's going to hold on to it, certainly, with the new owner. Didn't Montoya get his option picked up for next year? And yeah, then they that fired wasn't $3.75 yeah, yeah, million. Yeah. You know, it's always about the money, Joel. You know that. That's a theme we're having. Everybody yeah, also won the World Series, um, so we got to give Davey that. Um, you know, I, I think there's a reprieve for Phil Nevin. You know, I think he was probably going to lose his job, but how, you can't come in there and bring a three guy with a three-year deal or a four-year deal and then sell the team, right? So I think he gets another chance. He waited a long time. He probably deserves more of a chance than this. Uh, Have a full spring training. I think so, but they need they need more good players besides having two spectacular players. There's a whole nother bucket of t- of guys. I think the Twins they stick with Baldelli. Yeah. And by the way, I think the Phillies probably stick with uh, Thompson, and I do think the Jays will stick with Schneider. In fact, I've been told that D-backs I think stick with Lavello and the Rockies. They've said they're sticking with Black. We know that. And then the other one is the Yankees, of course. Which we had Aaron Boone on here. We're not just saying this because he was on here, but I think the chances are one percent. I never like to give a zero percent, but one. There certainly will be outside one percent, John. If, is, if they blow it, right? If they, if, they, blow it. if they got swept in the division series right. and he like used Chapman to close, I think that's He's a, not using yeah, right. To close, so right. I think right. you know they 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 signed him to a three year contract before right. last season. And right. John, if money is the biggest thing, and I agree with you, then the second biggest thing is relationships, right. and we know the owner has great affinity for both the general manager, Brian Cashman, whose contract is up, and for the manager in Aaron Boone. Right, and fairly. His track record is pretty good. I mean, you'll hear a lot of screaming about it, but Aaron Boone's got a winning percentage way over 600, right? It's in the top four all time, I think. For guys who've managed over 500 games, it's like top five, yes. So, I mean, I I personally don't think that Aaron Boone deserves to be fired, even if they have a quick exit, but I know there'll be some outside screaming for it. I get it. The Yankees are all about winning the World Series. It started in the Steinbrenner era. His son is obviously very different different than the father. I agree with you. The relationship, that might be the key, number one key there, but he's certainly got the track record, and he's got the contract. So I, I think it's very unlikely that he's really on the hot seat. So why don't we wrap it up with this, is uh, 
One of the jobs that's definitely changing is Miami, right? Don Mattingly right. Uh, and them uh, agreed that he uh, is Mutual, leaving. Right. Um, is that a job worth taking? I understand there's only 30 of that's these. That's what I was going to say. Only it's 30 just, jobs. There's only 30 of these. But yeah. is that a... They have pitching. They have good pitching. You saw Lazardo last night. Do they night. have people in the front office who know how to augment it, though? Or are you going to yeah. sit there and look at Avisail Garcia and Jorge Soler and say... I, even with the pitching, I can't win, and my reputation's getting dinged up along the way. I, I don't think too many people will say that. I mean, I the think the job comes open. There are thirty won't. jobs. Um, you know, I do think their pitching is great. Cabrera looked like a pretty good rookie. Uh, Luzardo, obviously, we know about Alcantara. Uh, they've got Rogers, who's got talent. Uh, if ever Sixto Sanchez gets help, I mean, they've got like ten guys who could be top of the rotation guys. Not many teams have that. They can develop pitching. I think it's a fine job. It's not a small market. It may be low revenue, but it's not a small market. There are positives. Uh, they're going to be able to get somebody that they like. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. I mean, I live in Miami, so I, I don't look at it as negatively as you. Maybe I, I think it's okay. It's it, you know, it might be not at the top of this list, but it's not at the bottom either. There, there are way worse jobs than Miami. Yeah, John. When you and I started on the beat, the star of the Yankees was Don Mattingly. We were on the beat. We were on the beat with Michael Kay. He's going to be joining us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and this is a special guest for us, John. So I, I let's do the full circle thing, which is to say Michael's on the beat in 1988. He leaves in February 1989 to go to the Daily News. I get his job. They are so mad they actually fired the guy who lost them. That's how mad they were that they lost Mike and had to settle for me. You came on the beat a year after that. Jack Curry came on the beat a year after that. Well, think about how it all turned out 30 years later. Me and you were working together. Mike Kay and Jack Curry are working nice. together at Yes. And in some ways, we're all working together because this is on the Yes app now. We've come a long way, Mike, in 30 years, or we haven't moved one inch. I haven't figured it out. You know what? I, I often wonder, Joel, if you if you like me or you hate me, because I really did change your life by going to the Daily News. You wanted to be an investigative reporter, and now Thank you're you, Mike. You're, Baseball savant. Yeah, I had no interest in being the Yankee beat writer, but it was a godfather offer. It was the biggest beat in the paper and the biggest sports beat in the country, and I couldn't say no. I like that comment about like him or hate him. You loved each other one year, and didn't you didn't talk to each other on even years. You remember that was like a Brett Saberhagen thing where you were a Cy Young winner one year, next year you went 7-15 and 15 or something. You remember that, right, Joel? You got, well, you, you, it, well it, you guys were really in competition. Newsday was the tabloid in the 2-2. Two, two, what, what, what did they say, tabloid in the – I can't remember. Competitor. It's Newsday. None of us remember, John. Well, now Newsday's our biggest competitor at the yeah. Post, right? Yeah. But at the, Which those, is to say we have no competition, No, well, I don't know about that. In those days, uh, News and the Post hated each other other but you guys loved each other every other year well to tell you the truth and, and I, I don't think this podcast is the time to legislate this but there was <laughs> a year that joel just didn't talk to me and i have no idea why to this day i have no idea why and a year later he started talking to me again so i value joel's friendship so i didn't push it but 
One day I'll find out why he just stopped talking to me for you. <laughs> You've been, you're the first ever to be on the podcast two times. Mike, five, we punch your card. I give you the answer to it. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Why, like why Robbins. I, I know the, the Is people. Is there a frequent podcaster card that we're yes. handing out now? So I'm sure people would be fascinated by this. Can we play story time with John and Joel with Michael K? You want to give us a favorite John Heyman story? Well, it, it's, it's not even about covering the beat, but I, every time I think about this, I smile. I was um, dating a flight attendant. For those Alaska. listening on the podcast, that was quotation marks around yeah. dating, by the way. Uh, <laughs> dating a, a young lady that worked for Alaska Airlines, and we were in Oakland, and, and for some reason, she just ghosted me, and she stopped calling me. And terrible, I was terrible decision by her. Terrible. Michael, are, you, are you ever going to find out from her why she ghosted you, not just me? Well, here's the deal. Oh, she, okay. she married the guy who's cleaning up up the tarmacs now and she lost out on you michael k that was a huge mistake but we were in oakland and i said to john you know what i'm not going to take this nonsense i'm going to go to the airport and i'm going to find <laughs> out exactly what's going on here and so john excitedly goes can i go can i go <laughs> and i said sure and so he went with me to the airport and i was talking to this woman who was working behind the counter it was it was that girl and i would say that's just the wrong thing to do to someone and john's behind me going that's right. It's awful. <laughs> He's like counting from behind me. And he just wanted to start this big brawl. I, and I, every time I think about that, I, I smile. That was great. That was a great spectator. I remember that day. That was awesome. Good job, Mike. You didn't take it lying down. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Should I do the dangerous thing and ask for your, your best story on me? Oops. Well, I've got so many. I mean, yeah. I'm preparing a book, but that comes out. <laughs> comes. This is pure Joel. Again, not a beat story. We were in a cab and Joel and I were in the back of the cab talking and the cab driver would not stop talking. Have we heard this story before? This is, Jack every, Curry told a cab story with me. Every are you are, Oh, really? Yes. And Joel just said to the cab driver, there's $20, $20. He held the bill up. <laughs> if you don't talk for the rest of the ride, 20 bucks. And the guy goes, okay. And then Joel and I start talking. And about a minute later, the guy chimes in and Joel goes, you couldn't wait for 20 bucks. <laughs> now you just lost it. And that's just vintage Joel. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. We got two cab stories uh, on me from uh, the, from the Yes guys. That's <laughs> tremendous. Obviously, the biggest story in the sport, not just in New York, has been the pursuit uh, by Aaron Judge of the sixty-two homers, Roger Maris, American League record, Yankee record. I'm wondering, are you getting a little Aaron Judge fatigue here as we try to... Uh, look, by the time people listen to this, he might have 64 homers. Who knows? But at this point, it's been about a week since he got to 61. How is it to have to set this up each time and prepare as if this might be a magic historic moment? Well, I would never complain because the guy you know, is on the precipice of doing something historic. And it's fun to you know, be able to document it. But you know, on a personal level... I mean, if you, you guys have known me for 40 years, I mean, I look like walking death right now. I'm not getting any <laughs> at You're all. You're very handsome. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just exhausting. It really is. I mean, every time he comes up, I have to welcome the whole country that's tuning in. And I know that college football fans in College Station probably throwing things at the TV screen because it's split in half. And uh, in broadcasting, you call it layering. And you have to layer to the point that he comes up because that's going to stand alone. And you want it to stand alone like 20 years from now the whole thing. And I'm running out of things to say. I really am. And the amount of, of uh, scrutiny and stress on the 60th and the six, uh, the 60th and the 61st calls. I mean, you used to just have to deal with the, you know, the Mushniks, the Racemans and, and the Marshans of the world. Now, everybody that has a phone or a Twitter account has become a media critic. And this is how I would have called it. I wouldn't. And, and then Kurt Schilling gets to chime in as well. So it's been a little stressful, but, uh, you know, for his sake, 
I hope he does what he wants to do, obviously, which is hit to 62nd. And then, you know, that, that'll be the end of the year, obviously, for me. I mean, I get to do a playoff series for ESPN in St. Louis over the weekend, but uh, that'll be that'll be it for calling Yankee games. Yeah, first of all, I want to say I, I loved your call. I saw the little criticism that you said, see, first of all, see, it doesn't take very long. Uh, it was a great call. You know, when Phil Rizzuto did the 61 home run for Maris, he said, holy cow, there's nothing wrong with putting a little bit of your own person into it for a quarter of a second. So I, I would say I loved your call. I want to ask you a question about the whole situation and the cowardice that I see from some of these pitchers and also from Luis Arise. Who is more cowardly, do you think, the fact that Luis Arise does not play whenever he's got the lead in the batting average, he sits, which I always hate that. He's not the only one to do it. A lot of people do it. Or these pitchers. Now, obviously, Rich Hill threw to him. Pavetta threw to him. I thought Toronto generally was pretty good. Obviously, Mesa did. That's where he hit the home run. But the Oriole pitchers, they avoided him, I think. I mean, some people complimented them pitching around him, whatever. I didn't like either one. Does either one of those things bother you? They both bother me. The Arise thing bothers me if, in fact, uh, he's not hurt. But uh, I had somebody text me during the game yesterday because we talked about it a little bit. said he's legitimately hurt. He has a bad hamstring. So... I'm not going to play doctor. If he's not hurt, it's bad luck. But he's I playing mean, some of the games. And is, you know, when it's he close, he plays. When he's got the four-point lead, he didn't play. So I, I'm sorry to be a critic or cynic. He didn't play yesterday against a righty, which would lead you to believe that maybe he's somewhat hurt. Again, I refuse to like doubt somebody's injury. But if he's if he's not hurt, it's an awful luck when you consider Ted Williams played at you know three nine nine five and went out and got you know six hits and eight at bats. Uh, the other thing, I, I guess I stand in the minority. I don't know how Joel feels. I don't think these guys have to volunteer to be a footnote to history. They don't have to put a ball on a tee for him. I mean, we've been keeping stats on it. And at one point, there were 17 at-bats or 17 plate appearances. And in 11 of them, he was 3-2. and two. Well, that means that in each of those at-bats, he had two strikes to hit. So I, I don't like when they, you know, completely don't give him anything to hit. But, you know, there was there was a point in August, if you watched the games, and I'm sure you guys did, where he got one pitch for a bat to hit and he seemed like he had a home run whenever he needed to. I think he's pressing right now. I think everything coming together and they're not giving him just pitches right down the middle. But I will tell you this, over the last four games, he has missed a lot of pitches that he would normally drive out. So I think it's 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 probably getting to him just a little bit, but I don't have a problem with the way they're pitching. I wouldn't want to be Al Downing and Tracy Stallard and Tom Zachary or Steve Traxel. You know, if he hits it, he hits it, but I'm not going to make it easy on him. Yeah, I think I'm generally with you on on that, Mike. I will say that Toronto was playing for things and pitching him hard. Baltimore's not playing for anything. And and just the competitor in me, I'd like to go into my winter if I was a pitcher and say, I got him out. Like, I went after him and got him out. I'll take the chance that he doesn't hit a home run off of me. That that would be a thing. Can I go back to something you said earlier? Because it's part of a conversation you and I have probably been having for decades, which is we all, the larger you are, the more criticism you get. Right. Like we, we deal with some. You're you have a much bigger platform than us with between radio. Yes. National stuff with ESPN. Can you shut it out? Like, why even look? You know, if I told you if you walk through a door, you were going to get punched in the face, you wouldn't walk through the door. And yet people walk through the Twitter door and see, you know, Bob 669 with a, an egg. What he says, like, is there a way just to, hey, I'm here. Somebody must like me to be here. I'll deal with criticism from my bosses, but that's it. You know me a long time. Uh, I am very, very sensitive, and I'm probably in the wrong business for it, so I find it almost impossible to shut down. You know, the eggs with two followers, that doesn't get me. 
But there are people that have like thousands of people that, you know, that, that say things and you go, wow, why would they say that? You know, why would they force themselves into this equation? But that's, that's one thing. And I will tell you this, and I, I'm telling you, I've won a lot of people over over the years. You know, I, I would hear people say, well, why do you read what Mushnick says? Or why do you read what, what Marshan says? And I'm telling you, the people that run these businesses, they are easily persuaded. All you have to do is plant one little germination of the seed. And one lunatic writes one thing that one boss sees, and all of a sudden they look at you differently. If you don't believe that, you are a thousand percent wrong. I don't know how many people that run networks or or, or run uh, cable companies, uh, how much uh, original thought they have. I'm sure they have a lot to get to that level, but I think they do take the temperature of the public. So if the public is coming after you on social media, it is going to influence the way your bosses think. I really, truly believe that. And yeah, I've done this 31 years. I guess I should have the uh, the confidence that nothing would happen, but I've seen Marv Albert get fired now for different reasons, but I've seen it. So, I mean, if Marv Albert could lose his job, Michael Kay could lose his job, Gary Cohen could lose his job. It's a really weird situation that we're all in right now. John, I just wanted to ask that because I wanted Andrew Marshan later to tweet that everybody wants to cover sports media. So I asked that. <laughs> he will do that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that you've succeeded despite uh, some mixed reviews. And I'm glad you guys are now speaking to each other. I, I think it was 1992 or 1994. It was one of those even years that you didn't speak. I want to ask you a Yankee question or maybe two of them. Aaron Boone was on our show a couple weeks ago and he said in answer to my question that uh, Garrett Cole would start game one of the playoffs. I'm not sure they're sticking with that now. I don't know if he's proclaimed that again, but Nestor Cortez has been better than Garrett Cole to this point. Garrett Cole's been good. If not leading the league in strikeouts, he's up there, but Nestor Cortez has been their best pitcher. Shouldn't Nestor Cortez start game one? And the other question I have is, what are they going to do about that bullpen? I can't figure it out. Who's going to be the closer? Who's the setup man? You know, we thought Britain would be possibly Chapman. I mean, they have all these guys, Holmes. All of them have been all-star closers, great. And they don't look like candidates to me. Maybe Holmes still is. I don't know. I'll start with the second part first. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to win a championship without a closer. You know, and, and Aaron Boone has said to me, we have him on every Thursday on my radio show. He said, we're going to do closer by committee. That's awfully tough to do. I mean, Joe Torre knew that he just went to Mariano Rivera. And if it didn't work out, there's no second guessing. Don Mattingly once told me a couple of years ago, he said, the worst thing that a manager has to do or the most difficult thing is to bring in guys from the bullpen. Because if the guys don't perform, it's the manager's fault, not the guy's fault. Uh, and, you know, Aaron Boone is going to set himself up for second guessing if he brings in Scott Efros to close a game where the Yankees could go to the next round of the playoffs. So I don't know if it's going to be Holmes. I, I don't. It's not going to be Chapman. I think it's going to be a combination of Loisaga, Efros, and, and maybe Holmes, but it's difficult to do that. As for the, uh, the number one starter, the Yankees have always said they don't make decisions on money. You know, you say Nestor Cortez, if you watch the Monday game against the Texas Rangers, Severino looks awesome. I mean, I might start Severino. That doesn't mean that you diminish Garrett Cole. He could still start a really important game three in a best of five series or even game two. But I think I look at it in a broader sense. Yankees going to the postseason in pretty good shape starting pitching wise. Those top three, I'll take my chance with those top three. And even Toyota's pitched really well all year, gets a, you know, maybe one start in a big series. That's a pretty good starting staff, but I think it could be undermined by the fact that they don't really have a closer. Amazing, right? Because their biggest trade at the deadline was to get Frankie Montas to start a postseason game that they said that Jordan Montgomery would not start, which is one of the right. reasons they, they traded him. And Mike, just a, a quick follow on it is like, if Garrett Cole does not start game one, 
we could say they're in great shape. That is a statement about Garrett Cole, if he doesn't. I mean, he was brought here to start that game and start every big game he could. That was the idea. And quite frankly, to, to John's point, he probably hasn't earned it over Cortez on just pure performance this season. I, I'm a Cole fan. I, I believe that he's he's worth the money. He's a horse. He takes the ball all the time. He's going to give you 32, 33 starts. The last month or so, he has not pitched well. But he is really held to a different standard because the last start that he had, he didn't pitch well, and he was eviscerated by Yankee fans. And you compare that start to the start that Scherzer and DeGrom gave the Mets in Atlanta over the weekend. It's kind of the same start, but they kind of get a little bit of a pass because they've been so steady. People forget the first year that Garrett was here in the the COVID year, he pitched very well in the postseason. And then last year, he didn't pitch well against the Red Sox. So I think this postseason is going to be a referendum for him and is going to really dictate how he's going to be treated by Yankee fans over the next couple of years because it's like they're loaded for bear with Garrett Cole. He's got to really perform well. To wrap up here, you mentioned that uh, for uh, ESPN, you'll be calling uh, the Cardinal games uh, in the uh, wild card round. We don't know yet, as we're doing this, who the Cardinals will play in that round. But we do know who your broadcast partner will be, Alex Rodriguez. Uh, he was a guest on our show as well, graciously. I'm wondering, after a season of doing K-Rod, what do you know about Alex Rodriguez that maybe you didn't know before this whole thing started? I, I do know that he really wants to succeed in broadcasting. You know, I've seen a lot of big name people go into the booth and they just go into the booth with their name and their mind. But Alex prepares like you would not prepare, like you would not believe for the K-Rod cast. I'm sure he's going to be all over the St. Louis series as well. We, we all know Alex's demons. I mean, we, we certainly experienced them as reporters and people that have dealt with him. But I think that underneath there is actually a, a really decent dude who tries to like shape shift to the people that he talks to uh, in order to ingratiate himself. But for the most part, he has treated me very, very kindly. And uh, I think he works really, really hard. And one of the rules of engagement when I took the K-Rod gig, you know, it was offered to me. And I said, well, let me talk to Alex first. And I said, Alex, one thing that we have to do with this and you have to agree to it is I've got to really be able to just pound you and make fun of you and bring up things that are uncomfortable for you. And he said, nothing's off limits. And he, he, he stayed true to his word. You know, I joked about the fact that Affleck got in, engaged to J-Lo. He didn't blink. Uh, we talked about PEDs. He answered the questions about the fact that he's never going to go to the Hall of Fame. And I give him credit for that. You know, we had Barry Bonds uh, in the last K-Rod, and he did not want to be asked about the, the PED situation. And I didn't push it because he gave the answer 14 years ago. You know, he hasn't changed his answer anyway, but... The fact that Alex has actually engaged people with the conversation, and so is Clemens, I think that helps them and maybe humanizes them just a little bit. Hey, we screwed up, and that, that's just the way it is. But I don't know if you really get to know Alex, but I, you know, I've met his daughters. I, I've you know I've met everybody he brings in uh, to the green room during the K-Rod thing. And you know I, I believe that he's a legitimately decent family guy and, and that he really wants to succeed in this. He's got a lot of pride and being a good broadcaster. So I have a better feeling. I, n- I never, I mean, we, we had a, uh, a Michael Joel situation where we didn't talk for a year and a half because I ripped him the last time he got suspended. But I think he came to the realization, you know, I was just doing my job. What was I supposed to say? And uh, we, have a, we have a very good relationship now. We might have a Michael Joel thing anyway, because you booked me twice on K-Rod 
uh, for Yankee Red Sox games, and I got bounced both times because the games went too quickly. Mike, they, they still had people on, they just not you. Yes, they had more famous, better guests. <laughs> but we, honestly, as guests go, Mike, we couldn't be more appreciative, couldn't have a better guest, especially at this moment, as you're the voice behind an historic moment. We're appreciative that you're a fr- our friend, and we appreciate that you joined us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, little reminiscing, little Judge Chase, little Yankees. What stuck with you from our conversation with our good friend Michael King? Yeah, Mike was great. We didn't get to the bottom of why he didn't speak that one year. That was a long time ago, and I don't know if we're get maybe sixty next minutes show. on it, John. Next show, we're going to ask you that. But talked about the Yankees and interesting stuff. I mean, he didn't really say who he thinks should start one, two, and three. He said great things about Cole, which is all true. He is a horse. You know, he does throw a lot of innings. There's a lot of good stuff to be said about it. As you know, I think Nestor should start game one, but I guess it's good that they have two or three good options if you count Severino as a good option as well. And the bullpen, I mean, he was very honest about the bullpen. It's kind of all up in the air right now, right? We don't know. And that's a difficult recipe to win the World Series, I think. No doubt, John. I I always think that when you think about who should start game one, you're really thinking who would you start in a sudden death game in game five, right? Because it's going to come around again. So do you want Cortez starting that game? Do you want Cole starting that game? Do you want Severino starting that game? I think that's the key question as you're doing this. As far as the bullpen, I think it's going to be very hard to do this mosaic and try to like hit the right one on a daily basis. At this moment, as we speak, the two guys who were throwing the ball best out of the bullpen in like the last two weeks have been Lou Trevino and Jonathan Loisaiga. Do you trust those two guys, the L and L of it all, to get the biggest outs of your season. That's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, Loisic, a very talented. Trevino has done it in the past. Um, you've got Efros, who he's used as well. I mean, he's basically got a lot of pretty good options, but, I mean, certainly no Edwin Diaz or anything close to that. So, I mean, I think this is the Yankees' biggest question as we sit here, not who's starting Game 1. The Game 1 questions might be the most interesting one because Cole's got the $324 million contract, but they're going to be okay either way, right? I mean, I think these are all good starters right now. They're in good shape there. This bullpen, that is the question right now for the Yankees. And I mean, fairly enough, the Dodgers have a question as well in the bullpen, and they're one of the greatest teams we've seen in the last 50 years. So they're not alone, but to me, that's the big question hanging over the Yankees. Yeah, and do they get Holmes and or Peralta back to deepen it before the end? Uh, By the time we come back for our next show, uh, the playoffs will have begun. The Yankees will be playing the day we do our next show. This particular episode has been presented by Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. Visit your Cadillac showroom today. Thank you for listening to the show. It's a podcast by the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown, Andrew Hart for producing the show, and the great folks here at MCM for helping us broadcast it. It will be on the Yes app, which drops Wednesday at noon. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give John and I a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. John's on Twitter at at John Heyman. I'm at Joel Sherman 1. Please join us next week and every week on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.